Playing Politics, Star Tribune Editorial Board, John Rash, Scott Gillespie, both here on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. Good to chat with both of you. John, I will start with you. Let's talk abortion and how important the topic will be. It is one that the Walls-Flanagan team, they bring up often. They absolutely feel like it is a winning political issue for them with Roe v. Wade and with where Matt Burke, the lieutenant governor candidate, has stood for a long time, and Scott Jensen. I had Scott Jensen on a couple weeks ago, and I tried to get him to directly say yes or no on exception uh, with rape and incest. He wouldn't say it, but the strong hint was without a health matter that he's, he's not for an exception. Matt Burke, with some video that has come out in the last uh, 24 hours, is back in the news for this. And many of his supporters love what he said. Others are outraged. When Matt talked about where he stands on this, he also talked about, you know, pushing abortions and stealth abortions and uh, this, uh, this belief from Democrats about how women should look and forcing them to work. So, Burke, for, for a lieutenant governor candidate, not even just with his name recognition, he's fairly prominent in this story. Knowing where inflation is at, knowing where the budget is at, knowing where the economy's at, knowing where crime is at. John, you first, and then Scott, you jump in. How big is inflation in this conversation in a race that is up for grabs between Walls and Jensen? In general, inflation is a key indicator in any election when it supersedes a relatively normal level. It's way above that at this point, um, the highest in 40 to 41 years at this point. Now, what will it be by the time Election Day runs in November? Certainly, it could be lower at this point. There are some indications that with gas prices dropping and with other commodities easing a little bit, that it won't be as much of an issue then because the number won't be as high. Yes, you're quite right that in terms of public opinion polls, regardless of how any of our listeners feel about the issue itself, the numbers are on Governor Walz's side in terms of the reproductive rights debate. More Minnesotans, more Americans favor having kept Roe v. Wade as the settled law that so many Supreme Court justice nominees said that it was. So they are pushing it because they think that it's a winning political issue for them. And the uh, Jensen Burke campaign has accused the Walls campaign of being a one issue campaign. I don't think that's fair at all. I think all campaigns are multiple issues because you and we and other journalists and certainly voters ask them questions and want answers on other key issues facing the state. So I think that um, the last 24 hours it's too early to be determinative in a campaign, but it's certainly the type of unforced error that a campaign doesn't want, especially from a lieutenant governor candidate overshadowing the gubernatorial candidate on the Republican side and not on the side of where the majority of Minnesotans are. Scott? I don't see how it could possibly be helpful to the Jensen-Burke campaign to have 
Matt Burke say American culture promotes abortion by, quote, telling women they should look a certain way, they should have a careers. They should have careers, end quote. We have a state in which uh, more than 50% of the workforce is women. We have a state that has some of the highest numbers of two-income households in the country. You've got an election, a gubernatorial contest that will likely uh, be won in the suburbs, and the uh, vote of women in the suburbs, which is a really high number, uh, they mm-hmm. they yeah. do vote, uh, critical uh, in recent elections in a purplish state. And I just I think this uh, I think John called it right. It's a it's an unforced error. You can have the debate about about abortion without insulting women who have careers. So I uh, thought it was, you know, very damaging to them. You also asked, though, how does it rank when it comes to the, the issues that people are looking at in Minnesota in this race? Uh, that's to be determined. And certainly people are really concerned about inflation, understandably, and also very concerned about violent, gun violence and rising violent crime. And that's also understandable. Let's talk about another uh, prominent political figure in the state, Ilhan Omar. She and other representatives were arrested yesterday outside the Supreme Court. Um, clearly, there was a belief in why they were there. There's no denying that. There also was political theater because her, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and others were acting like that they were handcuffed. They were not. That just added to it. They were protesting um, abortion rights and what's happened with Roe v. Wade. So you have that part of it, which is a part of the public persona that the so-called squad is a part of, including Representative Omar. Your paper points out, it's certainly not the only outlet to point this out, but that in the race for the DFL endorsement that Don Samuels, former city council member, has outraised by $200,000, which is a significant amount. But I think it's every bit as relevant that the paper points out that Antoine Melton-Mukes, who raced against her, had a much bigger cash advantage, and Representative Omar, let's be blunt, crushed him, won by 20 points. So, Scott, you first. Your thoughts on still the kind of the public part of some politicians, including Ilhan Omar, and how competitive is this race, do you think? Well, first of all, my colleagues and I have been knee-deep in this race just over the last week, talking with both uh, uh, Don Samuels and Representative Omar uh, in in anticipation of making uh, an endorsement uh, decision and, and writing that endorsement before the August 9th primary. Uh, Antoine Milton Mew wasn't as well known in that district as Don Samuels is. Um, I think that the issues in the district are different now. Uh, Don Samuels obviously making public safety a major issue for him, uh, whereas you've had Representative Omar on the other side of the issue when it came to the public safety amendment in Minneapolis and also the mayor's race in Minneapolis. So, um, you know, on that issue, I think she might be out of step with uh, with a lot of voters in her district. But I'll tell you what, I I just 
think that she is so hard to beat in large part because Donald Trump made her and the rest of the so-called squad public enemy number one. And I think that's going to give her room to um, to maneuver for, for a, a couple of election cycles yet to come. Uh, could be wrong about that, but as you pointed out, Chad, uh, Antoine Mew mounted a pretty serious challenge, at least from a fundraising perspective, and still got trounced by Representative Omar. John, I'll say this before you chime in. I will be shocked if Don Samuels beats her. And Don Samuels is a recognizable figure. Um, he still is involved with uh, he and his wife and the group that were had the court battle on the requirement for number of police uh, officers in Minneapolis. Other people bring up parts of Don Samuels' career, which is not as flattering to him. But I'm just with Scott. I think, and there are many people outside of the, the district who don't care for the representatives much, but I think her loyalty in this district is very strong. And maybe I'll be wrong also, but I, I think she's going to win the endorsement comfortably. Well, I think that Scott is quite right in that um, Don Samuels is of and in the community. And what that might engender is a higher turnout in the areas where he is really going to need it. I think in any kind of primary, particularly one in August, when people aren't as overly tuned into politics, people are still on summer break or perhaps getting away before school starts. I think that uh, it's tough to get people to the polls except usually committed activists, which make up most of Representative Omar's base. And so if Don Samuels you know, can use this money that he's raised wisely and be able to turn it into a turnout machine, I think there's certainly a chance that he could upset her, although clearly he's the underdog going into the race. In the two years since the last race was run against another very strong DFL challenger, unfortunately, the perception, if not the outright reality, of public safety has deteriorated significantly, especially in some of these neighborhoods where yeah, Don sure. Samuels um, has tried to give so much community service to throughout the years, including on the Minneapolis City Council and the school board, that people's perceptions of the issue of him and potentially negatively of her, of, you know, her favoring um, the more progressive uh, position on public safety here in the city of Minneapolis may mean that he gives her a run for the money. So we'll have to see. I think it's going to be a, a rare primary in Minnesota um, that night that a lot of people, be, even beyond the borders here, are really going to be taking a good hard look at. Last thing for you, John, I, I know you have a story today about a former White House photographer, and he's been fairly visible, by the way. It's not like he's slid in the background during the mm-hmm. uh, the Trump campaign, but expand a little bit on, uh, is it Pete Souza? Is that, is that how I say his last name? Yeah. Sousa. Sousa. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And he'll be here tonight in the Pandagis Theater at an event at 730 in downtown Minneapolis, and he brings a really unique perspective in that he was a six-year photographer on the staff in the uh, Reagan White House, and he was the chief photographer for all eight years of the Obama administration after having um, taken many photos of him as a Chicago Tribune photographer when he was running for Senate, and he he came to know Senator Obama then, and then President-elect Obama asked him to serve on the White House staff. 
and he would only do it if he got unfettered access, and boy, did he ever. And he took some remarkable photos of both administrations. And what he told me, in effect, is, you know, clearly people may have different political perspectives on each president. He found them quite similar, especially in their dedication to the country as opposed to themselves, uh, uh, a virtue that he clearly found lacking in then-President Trump. And you're quite right. He um, trolled President Trump on social media, often showing pictures of how previous presidents, um, Obama and Reagan, would have handled the situation and even wrote a book called Shade, which is what he was throwing at President Trump in terms of the criticism. So you're right. He hadn't um, really faded into the background, but he's got a lot to say. He has some remarkable photographs and um, was really quite in- interesting in the interview that he gave me. Excellent info as always, gents. Appreciate it. Enjoy the day. We'll talk soon. Thank, Thank you, Chad. You.